What can happen when you serve a holy God? Everything. Everything. And hopefully it does, right? Yes. Because we know, the Bible says, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, you know, that doesn't mean you should go out and go into the city square and try to pick up a Toyota. That's, that's not what you're supposed to do. But anything you set out, is there any way we can get rid of this reverb that I'm hearing? <clears throat> um, you should be able to go out willingly and in his power do anything that his will says you need to be doing. Right? Yeah. Okay. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Yes. But why isn't it? Why? And mostly you. You are the people that is the problem with you. It isn't God, is it? No, God is never the problem. It is us. When you see a need, go meet it. Well, what if God doesn't come through? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you mean, if, what if God doesn't come through? How is that even a thing? You know? No, it's you who doesn't come through. Because one, well, I don't want to go pray for them because they might not get healed. Okay, that, that's possible. But God didn't fail. Something else has failed. Something else. So we're going to pray now, because we really need it. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much that you have given us all opportunities to use our gifts, that you have came, you died, you took away every sin, it was all repented for, and then you rose again in great triumphant glory over death and hell, and sin, and what could be better than that except for to go live with you? Praise you, Lord, for all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we are unregenerate, then we become regenerate. What do we call that? It starts with an S. Saved, right. What is Saved. Salvation or being saved is a word Christians use, right? And you, you say it to somebody who's not a Christian, like, what are you talking about? We call that Christianese or church language. Because the world has no idea what you're talking about. Or if they do, they've seen such a poor example of it, they don't want anything to do with it. Because we as Christians, we're always a witness for Christ. Good or bad, you're a witness. And I'm here to tell you, I've been a bad witness way more than my fair share. I know none of you have, but I have. <clears throat> Amen. Please. <laughs> but salvation is his name. Jesus is salvation. Taking salvation away from Jesus would be like taking the, the skin off of my body. It's not, it, you can't do it. Not with any success. It doesn't, it has no happy ending. Salvation is his name. An example of this, my, my dad, 
I've shared with you before, he fought in World War II. And uh, the first ship he was on was the USS Chicago. It was a light cruiser. <clears throat> well, they sank it. And um, when he got off the ship, him and another guy, they were knee-deep in water on the uppermost deck. And they had the captain, and, and that's how the captain got off, as him and this other guy drug the captain off the ship. And then they were in the water. Salt water for a long time, and there's oil everywhere, and they're covered with this ooey, gooey gluck. And then after a while, I think it was two days, a ship comes along and got them out of the water. And they got something to drink, and they got something to eat, and they were saved. Salvation came to them in the form of a naval ship. But that's temporary. That was, I'm saved for now. That's not eternal. But I'm telling you, if that hadn't happened, I'm not here today. I'm not. So my dad spent the rest of his life as a logger, truck driver, working on highways, digging ditches. Worked really hard for a living. Gave me a very good example. We didn't have much, but I never was in want, okay? Except for spiritually. Because he had received Jesus when he was 15 at an Assembly of God youth camp. And for his teenage years, he, he pretty much did what normal American teenagers did in the, in the early 30s, you know, that were also trying to be godlike. He was a pretty good kid. But, you know, he had his share of fist fights and things like that. And, you know, <clears throat> we were loggers. What, what do you want? Well, after that, um, things kind of went south, you know, in, in the Navy and, you know, wartime and things. Things go kind of crazy in, in your <clears throat> spiritual life a little bit, or at least they did for him. And, and um, you know, there was a divorce and blah, blah, blah. And, and then comes me after he married my mother. Well... <clears throat> He didn't go to church. He didn't have a problem with mom and I going to church, but he wasn't going. So when I was about 12, when a young man really needs spiritual guidance, um, I had got used to my dad. He, he would Friday night start drinking, and then he quit Sunday afternoon. But he was drunk the whole weekend. Okay? He never drank a drop during the week, but on the weekends he got pretty well out of touch with us. And we came home this one Sunday afternoon, and he's sitting. He's sitting at the breakfast bar playing solitaire. This was new. It's a bright, sunny day. You don't have a lot of those in Washington State. And he wasn't out in the yard working. He was playing cards. And the lawnmower was in the middle of the yard <coughs> with half the lawn mowed. This did not happen. Something is very wrong. So <clears throat> my mom says to him, what's wrong? And he says, nothing is wrong, but for the first time in my life, everything is right. I was mowing the lawn, and I was as drunk as you can believe, and the Lord smacked me to my knees, 
And when I got up, and I don't know how long I was down there, but when I got up, I was sober. And this family, from this day forward, will serve the Lord. And I was 12, and I was ecstatic, because I really, really needed that. I had so many questions. And from that day on, my dad was a great example of what a Christian dad should be. When the church was open, we were in it. And we lived across the street for an Assembly of God church, and our church of choice was about five miles down the highway. And they didn't have the same service times except for Sunday morning. So almost every day, we were in church. All the time. That is salvation. Because that was eternal. That had an eternal impact on my life. Because from then on, I had a clear, what does a Christian man do? You know, I knew the pastor, but I only saw him for an hour on Sunday morning. And I loved him, and I respected him. He was a logger, too. And I couldn't comprehend, how does a logger, how does that work? Because I'd seen loggers. My family all were loggers. I knew how to say everything they knew how to say, but I didn't. Because, you know, well, I didn't like pain very much. And it came to a spot when I'm 12, what do I do? What do I do? And God said, this is what you do. And he showed me. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So this story I'm about to read you, goes along with that. Oh, by the way, this, uh, this sermon is called Blessed by the Ragman. I've read this story before uh, for other sermons that I've done. It was written by Walter Wangerin, who was born in Portland, Oregon, to a Lutheran pastor. And um, I have edited it a little bit because um, some of the English in it is a little old. Um, he was born in 44, and, and you know, he wrote this um, to kind of reflect his generation. You know? So I kind of updated it a little bit, and uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, but I usually weep when I read it, so you know, that's why we have this. I saw a sight so strange and experienced something so amazing that it's hard for me to explain it. Give me a few minutes, and I'll do my best to describe it to you. Before dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking through the back alleys of the city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, bright and new. As he pulled the cart, he was calling out in a clear, powerful voice, rags, rags, new rags for old. I take your old, tired rags. The air was foul in these dark streets, tainted by the filth and trash that living unleashes on the world. And yet as the man called out, the air became tinged with sweetness of cleanliness, as though the breeze that carried the sweet music of his voice also carried with it the hope and promise of a cleansing rain and a purifying wind. You ever been out when the, the rain washes the air? Isn't that a beautiful smell? I love that smell. Rags, new rags for old. I take your old, tired rags. The man continued to move through the dim light of the early morning. 
his voice strong, echoing from building to building, from street to street. Now this is curious, I thought to myself. For the man was 6'4", and his arms were like tree limbs. Hard and muscular. His eyes flashed with intelligence. What is he doing here in the city that has no need for such a useless profession? Who recycles rags anymore? Could he find no better job than this to be a ragman in the heart of the city? Driven by my curiosity, I followed him, and I was not disappointed. Now, I should point out to you at this point, when I say rags, translate sin. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on the porch of a small house. She was crying into her handkerchief, racked with sobs as she shed a thousand tears. Her body language said it all, said it all as she seemed folded on herself, shoulders down, back slumped forward, knees and elbows making a sad X. She had no hope. Her heart was breaking. Her body may be alive, but her soul wanted to die. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked over to the woman, stepping past the empty beer cans, old newspapers, dead toys, and broken furniture. Give me your rag, he said gently as he knelt beside her. I'll give you another. <clears throat> the, woman looked up into his, the woman looked up into his powerful, compassionate eyes and saw something there that paused her tears. The ragman slipped the handkerchief from her hand and used it one last time to dry away the flow of tears from her face. Never taking his eyes from hers, he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. <clears throat> she looked down at the new cloth and then back again to the eye of the man who had given it to her. The ragman slowly leaned forward and kissed the woman's forehead and turned and walked back to his cart. As he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her old stained handkerchief to his own face, and he began to weep uncontrollably, as she had done. His shoulders shaking with tears flowing down his face in a torrent of grief. But looking back at the woman on the porch, I could see that she was left without a tear. She sat with her shoulders high and a look of wonder on her face. Isn't that who we are? when Jesus comes to us, when we finally receive what he has for us. Even as Christians, he's trying to give you a gift and you keep saying no. What's the worst that could happen if you open the box? It's from Jesus. What could be wrong with that? This is amazing, I thought to myself. I followed the sobbing ragman. Like a curious child who cannot turn away from mystery, I watched the ragman <clears throat> from a distance. Rags, rags, new rags for old, rang forth his voice. Though it was still strong, it also shook with emotion as he wept. Rags, I take your old rags. In a little while, the sky showered gray behind the rooftops. It was light enough to make out the shredded curtains and damaged blinds that hung in the dark windows. The ragman came upon a girl sitting curbside whose head was wrapped in a bandage, her eyes vacant. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. 
The ragman paused and turned his weeping eyes to this empty, injured child. Reaching into his cart, he withdrew from it a beautiful yellow hat and walked toward the girl. <clears throat> give me your rag, he said softly. I'll give you mine. The child did not move and could only gaze at him vacantly while he loosened the bandage, removed it from her head, and tied it to his own instead. I gasped at what I saw. With the bandage went the wound. The girl's head was left unblemished while the ragman's head began to bleed. He set the hat on the girl's head. Suddenly her eyes took on an understanding and intelligence that had been missing before. She placed her hand to the side of her head where the bandage had covered the wound that was no longer there. Smiling in wonder, she watched as the ragman rose unsteadily to his feet and moved back to his cart again. Rags, rags, I take old rags, cried out the sobbing, bleeding ragman. New rags for old. With his powerful arms pulling the cart, he continued on his way. He seemed to be moving faster now with an urgency that I had not noticed before. Excuse me. He stopped again in front of a man who was leaning against a telephone pole. Are you going to work? The man shook his head. The ragman asked him, do you have a job? The man looked him up and down, making note of the ragman's weeping eyes and bleeding head before replying, are you crazy? He sneered this as he leaned away from the telephone pole and revealed his flat sleeve because he only had one arm. Give me your jacket, said the ragman firmly. I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice that the one-armed man looked into the other's eyes and took off his jacket. So did the ragman. I rubbed my eyes in disbelief as I trembled at what I saw. The man put on the ragman's jacket, and he had two strong arms, while the ragman was left with but one. The ragman looked at him, and he said, go to work. And he returned back to his cart. Struggling to make do with his one arm, the ragman began to pull his cart again, this time much faster, with greater urgency. He came upon an unconscious old drunk lying beneath an army blanket, hunched, old, wrinkled, and sick. He took out the blanket, wrapped it around himself. For the drunk, he left new clothes. Now I had to run to keep up with the ragman. He was weeping uncontrollably, bleeding freely from the forehead. He struggled to pull his cart with one arm, while stumbling from drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, and sick. Yet he moved with terrible speed, nearly sprinting through the alleys of the city, covering block after block, mile upon mile. I wept to see the changes in this man. It hurt to see his sorrow. I ached each time I saw him stumble and fall. Remember Jesus pulling the cross. When he began to move through the industrial area of the city, away from the houses and apartments, I wanted to stop following and turn away from my grief, to leave it behind and go back to my life, but I couldn't. I needed to see this sad, amazing story to its end. Who was this ragman? Why had he done what nobody else would have done? Where is he going in such a hurry? When would it end? 
The once strong ragman was now old, frail, weeping, bleeding, and falling. His body racked with pain, sorrow, and disease. I watched as he came to an old abandoned lot that was filled with piles of trash, old furniture, the rusted out shells of cars, and construction equipment. He moved among the garbage pits and piles of human refuse and finally climbed to the top of a small hill made from the trash of people's broken lives. He struggled to pull his cart in its sad, pathetic burden. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. With a deep sigh, he slowly made a bed from the contents of his cart and lay down on it. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his old, aching bones with the army blanket. His body shook under the load of the injuries, pain, and disease. His eyes wept, and the wound under his bandage continued to bleed. With one last deep sigh, he closed his eyes, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I sat down in an old abandoned car and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope. I wept because I had come to love the ragman. And as I followed him, I had watched him work wonders, changing lives so profoundly that it didn't seem fair that he was gone. He had taken those things that were soiled and damaged beyond repair and had replaced them with the new and the whole. And don't we all just want to be whole? Don't we long to never hurt again in body or in spirit or in emotion? Yes. He had offered hope to the damaged and lost of the city. But if the ragman was gone, then my hope was gone as well. I felt such an overwhelming sense of grief and loss that I remained in the private seclusion of the rusted out car and sobbed myself to sleep. But I didn't know. How could I know that I slept from Friday night till Sunday morning? On Sunday morning, I was awakened by a violence that shook me to the core of my being. Light, pure, hard, insistent light slammed against my tear-stained face and demanded that I awake. When I was finally able to open my eyes, I blinked against the light, squinted in the direction of the pile of trash where the ragman's body had been. As I looked, I saw the last and first wonder of it all. The ragman was there, yes, but he was no longer dead. He was alive. There he stood, folding the old army blanket carefully and laying it atop a neatly arranged handkerchief and jacket. Besides the scar on his forehead, there was no other evidence that what he had previously taken on, I'm sorry, of what he had previously taken upon himself There was no sign of sorrow or age, no evidence of illness or deformity. His body was whole and strong, and all the rags that he had gathered were now clean. I wept to see him again when I thought that hope had died along with Ragman, 
I had abandoned any hope for my own life. Yet there he stood, healthy and whole. Climbing from my shelter, I moved toward the ragman, trembling from what I had seen and because of what I knew I needed to do. Walking to him with my head lowered, I spoke my name to him with shame. How many times have we come to our Savior with shame? How many times has he told you, you don't need to be ashamed? How many times? Looking up into his clear, loving, compassionate eyes, I spoke with yearning in my voice. Rags, please take my tired rags and replace them with new ones. Isn't he good? He is so good. He did just that. They can't see. <laughs> Taking the old tired rags of my existence that covered the griefs and wounds of a life sadly lived, he replaced them with the new clothes of a life spent following him. He put new rags on me, and now I am a reflection of the hope. He offers us all. That is beautiful. Hope. He offers us all. How can we not do what he asks us to do? How can we not be compelled to do what he asks us to do? How can we not run to him? How can we help it? He can't help it run to us. He can't keep from it. Do you know that's why he loves you? He can't help it? He can't help it. Can you help but love her? No. You have to, don't you? You're possessed with it, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we find things to block us from Jesus? We only hurt ourselves. We are the ones that lose out. He is brokenhearted for you because you have sold yourself short. Oh, I don't deserve his love. Well, get in line, pal. Nobody does. Except he said you do. Except he called us saints. When I first figured that out, I stopped reading my Bible. You know what I did, Gary? I put my Bible down and I looked at the heavens and I said, are you crazy? I know me and I know what the world defines as a saint and the two are opposed. Yet my Lord and Savior said, yes, you are. And do not tell me I'm wrong. Okay. Okay. Luke 24, 12. But Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. And stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloths, or the rags, alone by themselves. And he went away wondering about and marveling at what had happened. Because dead people don't live 
and they don't fold up their linens, and they don't walk out of a tomb that's covered up with a rock. Now, I was listening to this radio preacher one day, and he'd been to Israel, right? And he went to the tomb where they believe Jesus has been laid, or had been laid. Okay? You with me so far? Okay. The rock is still there. Okay? Now, to push it away from the hole, you had to push it uphill. Now, this is a pretty good-sized man. And he got four or five other pretty good-sized men, and they tried to push it back in front of the hole downhill. And guess what? It wouldn't move. It's a big rock. It's like a really big rock. And they couldn't move it. So it's not like Jesus just got in there and just grabbed hold of it and shoved it. No, but I'll bet you what he said is, hey, rock, get out of the way. Or something like that. Put your old English King James in there if you want to. I think Jesus is a little more hip than that, but, you know, whatever. But what a marvelous thing for Peter to find on a brand new morning. Was it a morning like this? Of course it was. Did the earth cry to feel him again? Of course it did. And maybe the rock just said, oh, Jesus is awake, I'm going to move now. I don't know. But I'll bet you my vivid imagination, which is extremely vivid, cannot imagine the conversation between Jesus and that rock. John 8, 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Indeed. You have to be free. We are free. Many wars have been fought for this country that we can call ourselves a free people. But you know what? If you're not a Christian, you are as bound as if we were in the Iron Curtain. You are bound. It is only Jesus that sets us free. Without that, you're lost. Did you know the world is dying to know Jesus? And they're also dying from lack of knowledge of him? They need a doctor and you're it. You're it. How many many in here this morning? I think there was 18 in the building when I last counted. 18. You know, that's more disciples than Jesus had. And what happened from that? Oh, they just changed the whole world. What's Yuba City to us? What's the Twin Cities? What what is the population here? 100,000 maybe? Urban area included? Well, just, just in Yuba City's... I know that's their, their popular, but I mean the urban area. You know, Yuba City, Marysville, Sutter, Sutter County, Yuba County, maybe, you know, not that many. Certainly not as many as the Middle East had at Jesus' time. What's the big deal? Let's take it. Let's just take it. All things, all things are possible for us who love God. 
according to his will and according to his precepts and the gifts that he's given you to carry out the work that he's put before us. It is not a hard thing. It is hard because we make it hard. Jesus didn't say it was hard. He said the world will hate you because of him. But you know what? Almost everybody I know likes me. Almost everybody I I know likes me. And that's great. And I like it that way. But you know what? I still got to get across to them that they're going to die without a Savior. And if that means they don't like me, so be it. Because who am I trying to please here? Me or Jesus? Them or Jesus? Or, you know what, forget everybody else and just please Jesus and everything else will work out. It'll all fall where it may. John 3.15. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Then you all know this one. Why don't you just say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life everlasting life. And it's not just everlasting like from here on. It's from everlasting to everlasting as far as sins are thrown. Because Jesus using the term east from the west was the furthest we could comprehend. Because they never meet. Aren't you glad he didn't say north from south, because they come back together, don't they? But east and west, they just keep going. But from everlasting to everlasting, if you could get a grip on that, nothing would ever defeat you. They'd be writing stories about you, not Paul. Don't you want that? Well, I just like to be in the background. I don't care if you like to be in the background or not. Be in the background. Just believe everlasting to everlasting and they're going to write stories about you. Like it or not, good ones. They're great stories. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Through him. Listen to a guy once, he, he's an you know, uh, evangelist and he got on this airplane and he sat next to this guy and uh, he just wanted a nap. He's tired. He'd just done an evangelical, evangelical conference and he's going to another one and, and he didn't get a lot of sleep because, you know, it went late and he had to get out of the hotel and get to the airplane, blah, 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 right? So he gets on the plane and the guy wants to talk. And he says, <clears throat> so what do you do? And, he, and the guy goes, well, I'm an evangelist. He goes, oh, well, I believe there's many ways to heaven. And the guy says, good for you. I'm taking a nap. And he took a nap. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we need a nap. Well, he woke up as they're approaching Philadelphia. They're going to land. And, you know, the captain comes on and he says what he's got to say. And, and uh, the guy sitting next to him 
I said, oh, I see you awake. He says, I did, and, and I thought a lot about what you were saying while I was sleeping. He says, yeah. He goes, um, I'm really glad the pilot of this plane does not agree with you. What? I'm glad he thinks there's one way to Philadelphia. Because if there was more than one way to Philadelphia, we might not be going to land now. We might not be going to land safely. But there's one way to Jesus, or there's one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. And if you don't take that way, you're going to be lost around Philadelphia. And the guy goes, well, I never thought of it that way. Now, is that even close to theologically correct? No. Nope. Got the point across, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> the problem with these things is if you don't pay them attention with the correct finger, they shut off. There we go. Okay. 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jumping down to verse 36 here. Also, you should go home and read John 3, 19 through 21, and 3, 31 through 35, and you should study them. That's your homework. I'm going to grade you next week. No, I won't. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Were better words ever spoken? He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Now we saw a little bit of the wrath of God in the Old Testament, didn't we? Things like when the Israelites complained and the Lord said, you know what, we're just going to have the ground open up and eat you, and then I'm going to close it. How's that sound for you? You like that? Shut your big stupid mouth, Israelites. Yeah. We also find where he was going to pour out his wrath on the entire nation, and Moses said, if you do, blot my name out of the book of life. So Moses went to bat for the nation. We serve a wrathful God. And if you don't believe me, read the Bible. Because he says, I don't change. So what's different now than the Old Testament? Jesus came and adjusted, adjusted salvation so that we can pray and be saved instead of doing sacrifices. Killing and killing and killing and killing and killing. Do you know the priests had to change robes during the sacrifices because they would become so saturated with blood. It was a mess. It was gory. It was gross. It was not a place for someone of weak stomach. And Jesus adjusted that. Aren't we glad? Because I'm telling you what, I would not have a good time Standing up here helping Pastor Doug murder all these animals every Sunday morning. No, I, I don't. I mean, I, I have a very strong stomach, but I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. So this wrath of God that abides on those who...
who aren't saved, how do they survive if we tell them this is the plan of salvation and if you ignore it, you're going to hell and then we explain hell to them what little we know about it. How do they survive then? What keeps them from the love of God? Deception. Pride. I can do it myself. No, really, you can't. You really can't. My dad could not have rescued himself from the ocean. If the oil didn't get him, eventually a shark would have. Yeah. He had to have a ship come by. How many times does a ship come by in your life and you say, no, no, God's going to rescue me? Get on the ship. <laughs> Just get on the ship. <laughs> How hard is this? Stop making your life hard. Well, you don't know what I have going on in my life. No, no, I don't. But I do know what's going on in my life, and I know I'm okay, and I know I'm happy, and I know that it's only because Jesus helped me. Because if I was left unto myself, I'm a very strong person, but I'd be a basket case. Because you know what? I went through a whole lot of stuff before you folks met me a year ago today. Yes, that's right. We've been here a year today. But what, what is to be said of a person who is presented with something that makes perfect logic and they ignore it? What do we call that? We call that a fool. And rightly so. Even the Bible says the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Be blessed, my friend, be blessed. The good Lord God Almighty has called your name. Answer and rejoice that you name, I'm sorry, that your name, your very name, Teresa, is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Amen. So, Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day. Whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? It's, it's not like you have a lot of choices. There's just the two. It's Jesus or nobody. Or Jesus or not Jesus, actually. Because you can put whatever you want in there. Well, I'm going to serve myself, or I'm going to serve my wife, or I'm going to serve my job, or I'm going to serve you know, my best friend, or blah, blah, blah. You know what? If you're not serving Jesus, none of that matters at all. None of that matters at all. Lord, thank you that you love us, that you've given us gifts, that you've given us a way to see things, and that each one of us has a gift that will minister to someone. Each one of us has something that someone else needs. Each one of us needs to be able to give to them what you have for them. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your patience, your kindness. And we need to learn in that how to serve you in a way that pleases you and praises you and blesses you. Help us today and every day to find a way to do that in everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.